Chapter 2 of The Life and Adventures of Peter Wilkins, Volume 2, by Robert Paltick. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 I was heartily sorry to lose my brother thus quickly, and still more so to find it would be a long time yet ere I should see my wife. However, I was resolved to behave as cheerfully as possible, and to omit nothing I could do, the few remaining hours of Quangleart's stay with me, to rivet myself thoroughly in his esteem, and to dismiss him with a most cordial affection to me and the rest of my children here with him. I rose early in the morning to provide a good breakfast for my guests, and considering we should be in the air most part of that day, I treated them with a dish of hot fish soup and set before them on the table a jovial bottle of brandy and my silver can. This last piece I chose to show them as a specimen of the richness of my household furniture and the grandeur of my living, concealing most of my other curiosities till Pendlehamby, my father-in-law's, arrival, for I thought it would be imprudent not to have somewhat new of this kind to display at his entertainment. After a plenteous meal, we set out on our pleasurable expedition, having told Pedro what to get for dinner, and that I believed we should not return till late. We first took a turn in the wood, but I did not lead them near my tent, because I did not choose my wife should hear of that till she came. I then showed them my farmyard and poultry, which they were strangely surprised at and wondered to see so many creatures come at my call and run about my legs only upon a whistle, though before there were only two or three to be seen. They asked me a hundred questions about the fowl, which I answered, and told them these were some such as they had eaten and called cromots the day before. I afterwards carried them to hear the music of those plants which I call my cream cheese, which, as there happened to be a small breeze stirring, made their usual melody. When we had diverted ourselves some time in the wood, we went back to the wet dock, where I showed them my boat. At first view they wondered what use it was for. To satisfy them in that, I stepped in, desiring them to follow me. But seeing the boat's agitation, they did not choose to venture till I assured them they might come with the greatest safety." At length, with some persuasion and repeated assurances, I prevailed on them to trust themselves with me. We first rode to the bridge, where I informed them by what accident I was drawn down the stream on the other side of the rock, and after a tedious and dangerous passage, discharged safe in the lake through that opening. I then told them how surprised I had been, just before I knew Uworki, with the sight of her country folks, first on the lake and then taking flight from that bridge, and what had been my thoughts and how great my terrors on that occasion. After we had viewed the bridge, I took them to my rill, for by this time they were reconciled to the boat and would help me to row it, and showed them how I got water. I then landed them to see the method of fishing, for which purpose I laid my net in proper order, and fixing it as usual, I brought it round out of the rill and had a very good haul, with which I desired them to help me up, 
for though I could easily have done it myself, I had a mind to let them have a hand in the sport, with which they were pleased. I perceived, however, the fish were not agreeable to them, for when any one came near to their hands they avoided touching it, notwithstanding, having got the net on shore, I laid it open, but to see how they stared at the fish creeping backwards, and then at me, and the net. It made me very merry to myself, though I did not care to show it. I drew up in that draft twenty-two fishes in all, of which a few were near an ell long, several about two feet, and some smaller. When they saw me take up the large ones in my arms and tumble them into the boat, they both, unrequested, took up the small ones and put them in likewise, but dropping them every time they struck their tails. The fish had commonly two or three falls ere they came to the boat. I asked them how they liked that sport, and they told me it was somewhat very surprising that I should know just where the fish were, as they could see none before I pulled them up, and yet they did not hear me whistle. I perceived by this they imagined I could whistle the fish together as well as the fowls, and I did not undeceive them, being well enough pleased that they should think me excellent for something, as I really thought they were on account of the Grundee. Upon our return, when I had docked my boat, as there were too many fish to carry up by hand to the grotto, I desired them to take a turn upon the shore till I fetched my cart for them. I made what haste I could, and brought back one of my guns with me, which I determined upon some occasion or other to fire off, for I took it they would be more surprised at the explosion of that than anything they had yet seen. Having loaded my fish and marched backwards, they eyed my cart very much and wondered what made the wheels move about so, taking them for legs as it walked upon, till I explained the reason of it, and then they desired to draw it, which they did with great eagerness, one at a time, the other observing its motions. As we advanced homewards, there came a large waterfowl, about the size of a goose, flying across us. I bid them look at it, which they did. Says my brother, I wish I had it. If you have a mind for it, says I, I'll give it you. I wish you would, says he, for I never saw anything like it in my life. Stand still then, says I, and stepping two or three yards before them, I fired, and down it dropped. I then turned about to observe what impression the gun had made on them, and could not help laughing to see them so terrified. Rosig, before I could well look about, had got fifty paces from me, and my brother was lying behind the cart of fish. I called and asked them what was the matter, and desired them to come to me, telling them they should receive no harm, and offered my brother the gun to handle, but he thanking me as much as if he had retired to Rosig. Finding they made a serious affair of it, for I saw them whispering together, I was under some apprehension for the consequences of my frolic. Thinks I, if under this disgust they take flight, refusing to hear me, and report that I was about to murder them, or tell any other pernicious story to my father of me, I am absolutely undone, and shall never see Yorkie more. 
So I laid down the gun by the fish, and moving slowly towards them, expostulated with them upon their disorder, assuring them that though the object before them might surprise them, it was but a common instrument in my country, which every boy used to take birds with, and protested to them that the gun of itself could do nothing without my skill directing it, and that they might be sure I should never employ that but to their service. This and a great deal more brought us together again, and when we came to reasoning coolly, they blamed me for not giving them notice. Says I, there was no room for me to explain the operation of the gun to you whilst the bird was on the wing, for it would have gone out of my reach before I could have made you sensible of that, and so have escaped me, which, as you desired me to get at you, I was resolved it should not do. But, for yourselves, surely you could have no diffidence in me that is highly unbecoming of man to man, especially relations, and, above all, a relation to whom you have brought the welcomest news upon earth, in the love of my dear father and his reconciliation to my wife. At last, by degrees, I brought them to confess that it was only a groundless sudden terror which suppressed their reason for a while, but that what I said was all very true, and as their serious reflection returned, they were satisfied of it. I then stepped for the bird and brought it to them. It was a very fine-feathered creature, and they were very much delighted with the beauty of it, and desired it might be laid upon the cart and carried home. All the way we went afterwards to the grotto, nothing was to be heard from them but my praises, and what a great and wise man Brother Peter was. And no wonder now Sister Uworky, says Quangleart, once knowing him, could never leave him. It was not my business to gainsay this, but only to receive it with so much modesty as might serve to heighten their good opinion of me, and I found upon my wife's return that Quangleart had painted me in no mean colors to his father. I once more had the pleasure of entertaining them with the old fare and some fresh fish, part boiled and part fried, which last they chose before the boiled. We made a very cheerful supper, talking over that day's adventures, and of their ensuing journey home, after which we retired to rest, mutually pleased. We all arose early the next morning, we took a short breakfast, after which Quangleart and Rosig stuck their chaplets with the longest and most beautiful feathers of the bird I shot, thinking them a fine ornament. Being now ready for departure, they embraced me and the children, and were just taking flight, when it came into my head that as the king's mistress had taken Tommy into her protection, it might possibly be a means of ingratiating him in her favor if I sent him the flagellet. For I had, in my wife's absence, made two others near as good by copying exactly after it. I therefore desired to know if one of them would trouble himself with a small piece of wood I very much wanted to convey to my son. Rosig answered, With all his heart, if it was not very long, he would put it into his collipet. Footnote. A bag they always carry round the neck. End of footnote. So I stepped in, and fetching the flagellet, 
presented it to Rosig. My brother, seeing it look oddly with holes in it, desired, after he had asked if it was not a little gun, to have the handling of it. It was given him, and he surveyed it very attentively. Being inquisitive into the use of it, I told him it was a musical instrument, and played several tunes upon it, with which he and his companion were in raptures. I doubt not they would have sat a week to hear me if I could have gone on. But I, desiring the latter to take care of its safety, he put it in his colopet, and away they went. End of chapter 2